Hello, and thank you for listening to this podcast known as Faith to Live By. I'm your host, Pam Christian. And I want to say first, I've missed you. And next, I want to say thank you. In order for me to spend time with my family over Christmas and the New Year holidays, I repeated two of my podcasts. And I have to tell you that it was tough on me because one of my goals with this podcast is to help us understand current events from a Christian worldview so we can know what God wants us to know and how he wants us to respond so his kingdom will is done on earth as it is in heaven. During the past four weeks, there's been a lot uncovered that we need to explore, so I feel I'm behind, but I'll always do the best I can to help us discover and live in life-giving truth so we can experience all the hope truth provides. I want us to learn how to better discern the present times in light of God's revealed word, both the written word, the Bible, and the spoken word through prophets. I also want to always provide you with resources to help you successfully manage through all that's going on. I provide you with links and other trusted resources, important articles and reports, knowing we cannot trust mainstream media to bring us the truth. So, whatever you do, don't fail to look at the show notes. There are always many more resources for you there that I'm able to mention during the weekly podcasts. Last week, I shared some highly uplifting and optimistic prophetic words from Andrew Toe, Donna Rigney, and Krista Elisha. I wanted you to enter the new year of 2022 hearing the hope and promises God has for us beginning now and well into this new year. Without a doubt, since 2020, we have been caused to increasingly see the extent of evil and wickedness that has been operating for decades upon decades in our midst, yet undetected. When I first started this podcast in July 2020, I shared the Lord revealed to me in the fall of 2019 that he was going to be exposing all manner of corruption and wickedness wherever it exists for at least five different reasons. One, to wake his people, the church, or better stated, ecclesia, to wake us up to the extent of evil. Number two, to waken his church with the power of the Holy Spirit to realize we have failed to be the restraining force against the advancement of evil. Three, to shake us into position to our rightful place in the battles. Four, to serve as a warning to allow those who have been cooperating with evil to repent and realign with God. And five, to expose evil for all to see. So when God moves with his swift hand of justice, there can be no denial. God's judgment is correct. See if you agree with me. With God's people knowing that we win in the end, many Christians have been entirely disengaged in what's been going on in the world with the present misunderstanding that God's got this. He's going to take care of everything. I know a lot of Christians who live this way, which is part of the reason we're in the mess we're in. Thinking that God's in charge, that he's got this, and believing we don't have to do anything has been a doctrine of the devil to make the church impotent and ineffective. As I've asked you to consider before, just because God is sovereign over all doesn't mean he's responsible for all. We need to understand God is in control, not in charge. God has limited himself to not interfere with our free will. At the same time, God accomplishes his will by working through his people. Each one of us has a part to play to see God's will done on earth. With today's podcast, I want to help us all gain a sober perspective. Yes, the Bible is clear. We win. We win in the end. But until the end, there is still the present. 
which requires that we are fully engaged to win successive battles until the end arrives. Jesus told us to occupy until he returns. Looking at the state of the world today, we have clearly failed in that. But God is giving not only those cooperating with sin and evil a chance to repent, he's also giving the ecclesia a chance to repent and get properly positioned in his plans. In Hosea 4.6, God states, My people perish for lack of knowledge. So, let this podcast be an instrument of the Lord's to help you get informed and engaged so we can see more victories in the days, weeks, and months to come. So, let's do a little review of 2021 to help encourage us to get back in the battle with more resolve than ever in this new year of 2022. Many of God's prophets agreed that July of 2021 was a turning point in what seems to be a three-year plan of God's. Since July 2021, the opportunity for those cooperating with evil to repent has been closing in, and many believe this first quarter of 2022 we will see evidence of God's judgment being administered. It seems the enemy of God is aware of the timeline because the evil spirits controlling and influencing people are clearly panicking and attempting to accelerate their plans, even though it's evident their plans are failing. To some of us, it may look like the enemy has the upper hand, but when we look with discerning eyes, the truth is very different. Listen to realities not covered by mainstream news with this 2021 year in review. Ghislaine Maxwell, guilty. Jussie Smollett, guilty. Andrew Cuomo, forced out of office in disgrace. Chris Como forced off the air in disgrace. Two CNN producers under criminal investigation for crime against children. FBI attorney Kevin Kleinsmith, guilty. Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, indicted. Steele dossier compiler Igor Denshenko, indicted. NXIVM cultist Allison Mack, sent to prison. Billionaire Les Wexner forced to step down from company he founded for ties to child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. Wyoming Republican Party disavows Liz Cheney as a member of the GOP. Biden poll numbers soar lower than any president in history. Bill and Melinda Gates, Dr. Fauci, and Peter Daszak have been charged with genocide in a filing to the International Criminal Court. This happened on December 6th. Twitter's permanent ban of Dr. Robert Malone, a key contributor to the mRNA for speaking out against the vaccines, has actually generated him a much greater audience. And the heat is turning up nationwide regarding the audit findings for the 2020 presidential election. These are just a few of the battles we have won. There are many more that we've already won, and this should give us encouragement for the battles we're still facing. You may not have heard that Biden and globalists, the deep state, have been building a global taxation regime. Part of the reason for this effort is to create a global tax to help the Biden regime justify the huge tax increases that Biden's proposed Build Back Better plan demands. Alex Newman reported on this in 2021, and you can watch his video with the link I'll provide in the show notes. According to Alex Newman, with his program Behind the Deep State, quote, international bureaucrats who pay no international tax are writing tax laws that are expected to be implemented in almost every country in the world. 
This is a global plan for a global minimum tax. This is all part of a global sinister agenda to build a global architecture for what these totalitarians hope will be a global taxation regime that will eventually fund a global technocratic government. End quote. Right? That's pretty severe. And did you even know anything about it? I sure didn't. But before we feel there's yet another battle we are becoming aware of, I want you to be comforted by knowing that early January 2022, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, has once again killed President Biden's Build Back Better agenda, telling reporters that it's deader than ever. The link to this article is in the show notes. So just the same, I encourage you to watch Alex's video to understand how dangerously close we came to losing a major battle and how important it is that we work to remain informed and engaged. I contacted Alex Newman, and I'm truly grateful that he has agreed to be part of this podcast as my guest. With so much effort for a one world order, I wanted him to help us understand the role of the United Nations in all of this. The very brief biography for him is, Alex Newman is an award-winning international journalist, educator, author, speaker, investor, and consultant with a global reputation for hard-hitting reporting who seeks to glorify God in everything he does. He is also the founder of Liberty Sentinel. I want you to know more about Alex and all that he does, so please use the links in the show notes to visit his website. I ask you now to prepare yourself to hear some unsettling information about the United Nations background and ties to our present-day realities with part one of my interview with Alex Newman. Well, Alex Newman, I am so blessed, and my audience will be blessed as well, that you've allowed us to have time with you. I've been wanting to visit with you and to think that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to allow me some time to interview you is just truly, truly appreciated. Well, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity to come on. Thank you so much, Pam. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak on these issues. So, Could you tell my audience a little bit about you so they'll understand your background and why I've decided that you needed to be my guest? Well, I'm uh, I'm a journalist most of the time. Uh, I've been following the United Nations around throughout my career. Uh, since I graduated from the University of Florida with a journalism degree, I've been going to different UN summits around the world, primarily focused on climate and sustainability issues, but also other topics. And uh, you know, I was raised in a very international environment. I went to private schools all over the world where we were just constantly bombarded with United Nations propaganda. We were taught to see the United Nations as really the savior of humanity, the great hope uh, for mankind. And so I, I come from that kind of background and to, to realize that everything was not as it seemed when it comes to the United Nations was really a shock to me. And I think it will be for many people, especially those who, who aren't familiar with some of what we're going to discuss today on the UN. But uh, that, that's my background. I'm a journalist, I'm an educator, uh, and I've, I've taken a special interest in the United Nations because it is such a crucial piece of the puzzle in terms of understanding where the world is going and what's happening. So, Well, I'm an American. I've always been an American. I mean, I don't have any dual citizenship or anything, but I've got the typical American upbringing and belief in the sovereignty of the United States of America. So even to hear you say that you were taught that the United Nations is the savior of all humanity, that's nothing I've ever experienced. So I'm imagining there must be a lot of people who have the same point of view that you were indoctrinated with. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the, the schools that I went to growing up, these were uh, very elite private schools. And so essentially they were training the managerial class for the global system. Uh, the people who would be diplomats, CEOs, political leaders, things like that. I went to school with uh, a lot of children of politicians, children of billionaires, uh, things like this. And so we were just, uh, I mean, massively indoctrinated with pro-United Nations propaganda, and especially because these were very international environments. You'd have uh, students from all different cultures, all different nations. Uh, we'd have children from uh, the households of ambassadors and, and consulates and things like this. Uh, and, and really, the United Nations was so heavily emphasized. Uh, I know they have model United Nations here in the United States in the public schools, but that was such a big deal uh, at the schools that I went to. And in fact, I, I actually went to school with a lot of children of uh, UN diplomats, including senior UN leaders. And so it was just, you know, it was just a part of growing up that the UN was just this crucial organization that was, you know, the hope of mankind for peace, and they were going to take care of the poor, and they were going to feed the hungry. I mean, uh, almost uh, deified in a way that I think is hard to explain to somebody who hasn't experienced uh, this kind of indoctrination. I think we're seeing evidences of it, especially with everything we've experienced in the last couple of years with COVID and the push for a one world order. And again, the research I have done has kept taking me back to aspects of the United Nations. Before we get into some of what you know, I want to ask you, what was the catalyst that changed your point of view instead of swallowing this indoctrination about the United Nations? Well, it's, it's interesting you ask. I, I had started getting really suspicious of everything I had been taught even as a youngster, I mean, I actually, I was expelled from school uh, in 10th grade. I was a terrible student, a very, very naughty child, if you want to put it that way. Um, and I started getting suspicious of everything I learned. And yeah, honestly, I was going in a very liberal direction, but I was very suspicious of the things that I had been taught to believe. And what really was the kicker when it came to the United Nations, when I was in college, uh, this was just around the time when YouTube was becoming popular. And I came across a documentary that had been made, I think back in the 1960s, if I'm not mistaken, about uh, Katanga. Now, this was a, a little province in the Congo that had declared independence from the Congo. They did not want to live under a, a mass murdering Soviet-backed uh, dictatorship, a communist dictatorship. And so uh, this very pro-Western leader, Moise Chombe, decided to declare independence and, and create his own nation. And uh, this was actually the first major UN peacekeeping operation. They call it peacekeeping, which is, uh, I think, a very Orwellian term because it makes us think, oh, well, they're keeping the peace. Uh, really, what they were doing was trying to bludgeon these people into submission, into uh, accepting their fate as, as serfs or slaves of a communist dictator. And so the UN went in there with their armed forces and they bombed hospitals, they bayoneted children, uh, numerous women were raped. Uh, and, and I saw the footage of this and I saw you know, the testimonies of, of people who, who were there with the Red Cross explaining that their hospitals were being bombed by UN warplanes. Thinking, Man, that's a very different image than, than what I got growing up. And uh, then the more I started digging into this, the more I realized, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, this this is really the essence of who the United Nations of what the United Nations really is. And uh, and that took me down a path of research that, that continues to this day. But I think that was the, the single catalyst that really caused me to recognize that the indoctrination I had received about the U.N. was based on a lie, essentially. Mm -hmm. Were you raised in a Christian home? Um, I, I say a very nominal uh, you know, we, we were the uh, CEO Catholics. We would go to Catholic church on uh, Christmas and Easter. Uh, I'm now uh, an evangelical, uh, very firm believer. Uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but that didn't come about until early on in my college experience. So. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, it's interesting that obviously the Lord's had his hand on you to allow you to be exposed to all that you were in throughout your education, then to see that video, begin questioning things, and also become evangelical Christian. I want to thank you for your perseverance, number one. And at this point, I'd like to have you help us understand the history of the United Nations and the really long-term effort that they've had to form a one-world government. Yeah, the history of the UN, as as soon as you start looking at it objectively, you realize there are red flags all over the place that, of course, children are not taught in public schools. This stuff is not in the history textbooks, but you start at, at the very beginning. You know, there was uh, first this effort to create a one world system under the League of Nations, and that failed miserably because our our U.S. Senate was not willing to participate. Uh, And so they set up these organizations in the United States, including the Council on Foreign Relations, for the specific purpose of shifting our nation and our values and our government in the direction of being willing to participate in these types of global organizations. So after World War II, uh, a, a number of individuals came together in San Francisco and created this monstrosity. And it, just looking at the individuals who were involved there is, is your first red flag. So the Soviets, you know, this was the victors after World War II. So the, really the, the big powers were the United States, the Soviet Union, and the United Kingdom, uh, and especially the United States and the Soviet Union. Well, the Soviet Union sent uh, Mr. Molotov, the foreign minister of one of the most murderous dictatorships to have ever existed in human history, who incidentally was very friendly with the Nazis. <laughs> he was the guy who signed the the pact with the Nazis that uh, they would carve up Europe and the communists would get one half and the national socialists would get the other. Uh, So that was a very strange choice to send uh, from the Soviet Union to represent the Soviets. Then we sent a guy uh, called Alger Hiss. Alger Hiss, of course, was uh, he had previously led the Carnegie Endowment. And uh, so Alger Hiss was uh, probably the key player in the creation of the United Nations. And yet he has been almost written out of the history textbooks at this point. Uh, They selected him, even though he was technically representing the United States, they selected him to chair the conference that wrote the UN Charter. And he actually was uh, uh, appointed as the very first Secretary General of the United Nations. And then a few years later, he was prosecuted in the United States in federal court because it turns out he was an agent. He was a spy for Joseph Stalin. So he was working for the Soviets all this time, which should have been really obvious from his work at the Carnegie Endowment. Uh, so you have those red flags there. One of the other things that, that is almost, again, completely written out of the history books is under the leadership of Alger Hiss, they took all the delegates, and, and I mean all the delegates, to this San Francisco conference. They took them down to a, a compound in, uh, in Northern California. It's known as the Bohemian Grove, a uh, very secretive operation. All, all the political elites in Washington know all about the Bohemian Grove. In fact, most of them, at least the senior ones, have been there. Uh, some of them go on a regular basis. Uh, to give you some sense of, of the influence of this organization, every Republican president of the last 100 years, with the exception of Donald Trump, uh, has been in attendance. Uh, Richard Nixon wrote in his autobiography that the most important speech of his entire political career was the one he gave at the Bohemian Grove. So this is an organization that's been around uh, for, for over a century, uh, created by bohemians, and uh, gradually it, it became more and more influential. So now it's at the point where every year, 2,500 of the most powerful men on planet Earth get together, uh, and they engage in very bizarre rituals. You know, from a, from a Christian perspective, you look at this and you think, this is just absolutely diabolical. No Christian ought to be participating in these things. Um, you know, some of it has been filmed, uh, it's been leaked out on the internet. They have one ritual they call the cremation of care, where they have this uh, 40-foot stone owl there, this monument that's on the compound. And uh, they burn what they claim is an effigy of a child, feet of this owl, and they chant about the forest spirits. And, you know, a lot of the people who go there, they think, oh, it's just going to help advance my career. They don't necessarily think of it as some esoteric occult ritual, but uh, they should. 
So it's a very bizarre thing. And to have every delegate at the founding conference of the United Nations go down there and participate in this is very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was actually a, a PhD thesis written about this. So we have a lot of details about what happened there and, and, and how all these delegates went down there. So this is kind of the backdrop of the founding of the UN. Uh, and then even the people who were kind of above board on the surface, people like John Foster Dulles, who, who variously served as a secretary of state, uh, other senior positions within the U.S. government. Uh, he wrote a book in 1950 called War or Peace. And, and there were some astounding revelations in this book. Uh, for example, he acknowledged that the ultimate purpose of the United Nations from the very beginning was to be transformed into a one world government. Uh, he suggested that under the existing UN charter, uh, all the tools and mechanisms were already there in place. It wouldn't even have to be amended to be able to turn the UN into a true global government. So you realize that right from the very beginning, they had in mind this idea that they were going to set up, that they were going to use this organization as the nucleus for an eventual world government. And we have seen that as the decades and the generations go by, they add more tentacles, they add more agencies, but it all flows to this core that is what they set up after World War II. And again, we should have seen the red flags all over the place. Uh, Alger Hiss being prosecuted and thrown in prison for for working as a spy uh, for Joseph Stalin. That should have been the death knell of the United Nations as far as the United States was concerned. And yet they just wrote them out of the history books. And here we are. Right. Two things. So you talk about information being written out of the history books. That's one reason I made a point of getting an old set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. I wanted to have some information that is no longer in our current books. So I recommend everybody do that. You know, go to Goodwill or some of the other stores like that where you can get used materials and get yourself a set of older encyclopedias. Now, before we move too far past, I want to ask you a little bit more about the Bohemian Grove. I've heard, and I'd like you to confirm if you can, that a lot of the rituals and activities that take place during their, well, a ritual is very similar to Freemasons. Is that accurate? Yes. Um, you know, and, and I don't believe that it's a requirement to be a Freemason to go participate in these things. But yeah, I mean, it, a lot of this is rooted in the occult, uh, the ancient mystery schools. You'll find, uh, you know, the Bible speaks very clearly on these things, secret oaths and secret proceedings and uh, occult rituals. And, and honestly, when you read uh, when you watch this this so-called cremation of care, which is one of the uh, rituals that we do have video of, we've got about 20 minutes of video footage. I know the guy who snuck in and took this and, and put it out on the Internet. Um, what you'll find are some very, very disturbing parallels also with the Old Testament. Right. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have uh, these people groups, uh, including, you know, from time to time, God's people actually mm-hmm. fo- follow the nations in, in these abominations. Uh, and one of the things that they do is they sacrifice their children. They, they pass their children through the fire in front of these big statues, these big idols of their gods. And so to have a 40 foot stone owl and, and burn what, you know, what they claim is an effigy of a child. Uh, the parallels with the, the ancient mystery religions and stuff, I mean, they, they just jump out at you. There are some very dark elements of masonry that really came over uh, from Europe. And, and George Washington was well aware of this. You can find his letters about it in the National Archives about the infiltration of other secret societies into Freemasonry, bringing in these uh, horrific things. And, and actually, in a, in a letter to a reverend, uh, George Washington expressed very serious concerns about this. And he said he did not believe uh, this poison had infiltrated American masonry yet. But uh, one of the books that he read, and I have a copy of this book, it's it's incredibly powerful. And it was incidentally, it was written by a high level Scottish Freemason. Uh, it's called uh, Proofs of a Conspiracy. And it's about the Scottish Freemason, John Robeson, who's traveling through continental Europe, going through the Masonic lodges of Paris and Berlin and St. Petersburg and Russia. And he says there's this satanic, diabolical secret society that has infiltrated the secret society of Freemasonry uh, and is now using it to, to promote 
uh, really the exact opposite of what God teaches on every point. So God commands that we should respect others' private property, that uh, stealing is a sin. And so this uh, secret society within a secret society commands that we should get rid of private property. Uh, God ordained the, the family as the fundamental institution of society. And so this secret society founded by Adam Weissup that was infiltrating the Masonic lodges of Europe calls for abolishing the family and, and having women held in common. Ultimately, these same diabolical ideas, which I think came straight from the pit of hell, resurfaced in the 1800s, in the mid-1800s, in the writings of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. So these are satanic ideas that have come through history, clear back all the way to you know the, the, the Tower of Babel and, and Nimrod. These are satanic ideas that have been with humanity, sometimes underground, for thousands of years, uh, just resurfacing, manifesting themselves in a different way. Uh, and I think Bohemian Grove needs to be understood in that context. Yeah, we're talking about ancient spirits that do resurface from time to time. And I believe we're seeing that very thing today. I wanted to talk a little bit about the secret societies, because that's one of the things that President Kennedy spoke about that may have led to his assassination. Absolutely. And, and I encourage people who have not seen uh, or who have not heard this speech. He, he actually gave a speech to the newspaper editors and publishers society. He was asking them for assistance, exposing this, what he described as a monolithic conspiracy to enslave every man, woman and child on this planet. Um, and, you know, he was talking about communism and the threat of the Soviet Union. Yes. But what he was also explaining, and it comes through very clearly in what he had to say, is that this is much bigger than just communism. Right? This is not just some clowns in Moscow who have this diabolical plan. They, they are everywhere. And, uh, and ultimately, I think uh, John F. Kennedy understood it as satanic. And I think we need to understand it yeah. as satanic. Um, when you look at the goals and objectives and you compare that with what the Bible teaches, um, it, it is so obviously diabolical. Uh, and yet our churches, really, uh, not very many of them have taken this seriously. Not very many of them have preached on this. Uh, and, and I think it's entirely plausible that one of the reasons they eliminated John F. Kennedy was because he was, first of all, understanding this, speaking out about it, and, uh, and asking others in a position of influence to help explain this to the American people. Well, one of the reasons I have my podcast is because I'm very dissatisfied with the lack of content that comes from the pulpits. People don't need to hear the Bible stories again and again or be taught about tithing again and again. We need to know how to apply our faith today and what's really going on in the world. So again, that's, that's why I'm even having this podcast at this particular time. I'd like you to help us understand some of the specific United Nations agencies and some of the tactics that they use and that we are actually being subjected to today. Sure. Well, the United Nations is an incredibly complex monstrosity. And uh, e even studying this in depth for, for over a decade, I'm, I'm still only scratching the surface. But uh, I, I think what people need to understand is that the United Nations now has all the trappings of a government. Uh, in fact, it goes way beyond even what a legitimate government should be. You know, God explains clearly in his word what the purpose of government is. The purpose of government is to punish evil. Um, if you doubt that, just go read Romans 13. God tells us exactly why he ordained civil government. It's to be a terror unto evil, to protect good. Uh, and so really, that is the job of government. The job of government is not to educate our children. It's not to uh, you know, police what we do on our private property. It, it, it's, its job is to punish evil. God has already defined evil. as He defined it as murder, stealing, adultery, things like that, right? That's the job of government. Well, in the modern era, the post-Christian era, if you want to call it that, which is what a lot of these uh, globalists and deep staters call it, uh, government has now become basically unlimited. And they believe civil government has now uh, supplanted the family and even the church as the uh, the mechanism by which we care for the poor, by which we raise children, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you look at the United Nations, 
The United Nations has all of the agencies that you would expect to find in an out of control modern 21st century government. Uh, first of all, they've got the basics. They've got you know their own police forces. They have a UN cops program. They're now trying to bring in the national police forces of every country in the world into the UN system. And they're having conferences on this on a regular basis, the, the UN COPS program. They've got tens of thousands of UN police right now. Uh, there's also a sister agency of the United Nations called Interpol that is already being marketed to humanity as a global law enforcement agency. They're already playing some role uh, as a global law enforcement agency. You've got the UN military. Uh, they call it peacekeeping forces, which, uh, you know, you critical to understand about the United Nations. That's almost their raison d'etre, right, was was to keep the peace, so-called. And what people don't realize is when they talk about peacekeeping, they're talking about war making. They're talking about troops with machine guns and attack helicopters and tanks, right? These are not uh, dropping flowers and, and olive branches on people. Uh, this is about killing people. And that's what they do. They're infa- infamous around the world for killing and raping. In fact, just in the last decade, the UN's troops have raped, and this is according to the UN's own data, former senior UN officials have come out and blown the whistle. They've raped more than 60,000 women and children around the world, uh, primarily in Africa, Haiti, but also even into Southeast Asia. And even in uh, Europe, we had huge problems with child sex trafficking by UN troops um, in, uh, in Southern Europe and the former Yugoslavia and so on. Um, and, and this is a pattern that recurs over and over again. But then beyond just the armed forces of the UN, beyond just the policing and the military components, we've got a UN environmental agency called the UN Environmental Program. We've got UN courts, right? We have the International Criminal Court that styles itself a world court. Uh, Even though the U.S. government has never ratified the agreement that created this, the Rome Statute, uh, this International Criminal Court still acts like it has jurisdiction over Americans, like it can haul any one of us into its kangaroo court and prosecute us at any time. Uh, None of the traditional protections that we enjoy for our rights as guaranteed in the Bill of Rights and our state constitutions uh, are respected by this kangaroo court. Um, They've got a a patent office, right, the World Intellectual Property Organization. They've got uh, their agricultural agencies. They've got the UN World Food Program, the uh, IFAP. Uh, they've got uh, virtually every, you know, if you think of a, a traditional European government or even the American government, right? we've got uh, the labor agency, we've got the environment agency, we've got the health agency, right? Uh, there is a corresponding agency at the United Nations. Uh, the World Health Organization, of course, has been uh, a lot in focus lately just because of the COVID. Uh, and frankly, a lot of these horrific ideas about fighting a virus by surrendering all of our freedoms and destroying all of our small businesses, uh, these are coming right from the UN World Health Organization. And that's why they're getting peddled down to all the uh, the national governments. And so that is basically the thinking, is to have this world government in waiting. Uh, they haven't quite announced yet that, that it is the world government, but we're very quickly approaching that time uh, when I think they will just say to people, all right, guys, now you know we've, we've been flirting with this for a long time, and now we're just going to make it official. Um, and, and in some sense, they're already talking about this, right? You had uh, Ban Ki-moon, the most recent Secretary General of the United Nations, not the current one, but the one before him, repeatedly calling the UN General Assembly the Parliament of Humanity. Uh, a parliament, of course, is a sovereign legislative body with the authority to make laws. Um, in theory, at least, it's supposed to be a representative body. Uh, I, I don't think any serious person would argue that Kim Jong-un is a legitimate representative of the North Korean people or you know, Robert Mugabe, the mass murdering Marxist monster who happened to enslave Zimbabwe with help from Jimmy Carter. 
uh, that he was a legitimate representative of the uh, the people of Zimbabwe. But that's what we're being told now, that the UN General Assembly is the Parliament of Humanity. Uh, they want to turn the International Monetary Fund into the kind of global central bank. Uh, this process is already well underway. They're already printing their own currency. They call it special drawing rights. So the entire architecture of global governance is already in place. It already exists. It, it already has its own processes, procedures, and budgets. Um you know, now what's left is to just make it official. And so I think that's critical for people to understand. It's also critical for people to understand that all of these mechanisms, Pam, are dominated by totalitarians. Uh, many of them are agents of the communist dictatorship in China or other hostile dictatorships. Many of them are, are totalitarians from the Western world, including totalitarian Americans who have worked their way up uh, in the ranks. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with uh, a totalitarian organization composed, at least officially, of many totalitarian governments, kleptocratic thieves masquerading as governments. Um, it, it's quite a predicament we find ourselves in. Okay, I'm stopping the interview here. And next week, we'll pick up with part two of my interview with Alex Newman. Did you hear what he said? I always understood the UN to be an organization where nations willingly gathered to promote world peace. But clearly, the UN, under that cloak, has always been poised to usher in a one-world government. And the part where Alex spoke of a secret society within a secret society, with the ideals that we should get rid of personal property, reminds me of Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum, representing the planned Great Global Reset, claiming that we, meaning the non-elite, will own nothing but will be happy. And what about the part where President John F. Kennedy was asking the newspaper society for assistance to expose the secret societies? This made me wonder how long the media has been controlled in order to propagandize the information that's given to the public. I want you to know I'm learning all about the evil in the world right along with you. Alex has studied the UN for many years, but I'm just learning about this and all that God has been exposing since early 2020. God is waking all of us up. I want you to make a point to open up the show notes and look at the resources I provided you. There are several links about the UN, including what's known as their Agenda 21. And the page reveals many corporations who are working to promote this agenda. We must know this so we are not supporting companies that are actively working against the word and will of God. Just as Alex explained, their goals look upright on the surface until you look deeper to understand how they plan on achieving the goals and who will truly be served in what they're planning. Now, there's been so much evil progressing right under our noses without us being aware, and clearly God has decided it's time for the whole world to become aware not only about the extent of evil, but about Him, about God Himself. You won't want to miss part two of this interview with Alex Newman next week. Be sure to poke around his website to learn more about him and take time to listen to his audios and read his articles. If you're like me, you'll want to subscribe to his newsletter so you won't miss his publications. There'll be a link in the show notes. In response to this podcast, I ask you to connect with me. I work very hard each week to learn what's occurring in the world and ask God for his wisdom and insights that he wants me to bring to you. My motivation for doing this is my love for God and His love for you. Everything I do each and every day is to advance the kingdom of God by keeping us focused on truth. If you have benefited from my work in any way, I truly want to know. I'm a vocational minister. Ministry is what I do full time. So if you like what you've heard today, I ask you to show your support in whatever way you can. 
You may notice I no longer promote any affiliate sponsors. And that's because in the past 18 months or so, it did not produce any benefit for them or for me. And I openly share, were it not for my husband, I wouldn't be able to cover the costs associated with what I do. 99% of the costs for this podcast had come out of our family budget. It's my prayer that instead of affiliate sponsors, you, my listeners, will become at least partial supporters of this ministry. If you believe this podcast is an important source of truth that you can trust, then consider becoming a supporter. Donations are certainly accepted, but they're not tax deductible. For this reason, I offer you products and services for you to purchase. I offer my books, CDs, bumper stickers, jewelry, and other products from my web store, which you can get to through faithtoliveby.com. And when you purchase through my web store, be sure to use the promo code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, at checkout and get 20% off your purchase. Also, listen to this podcast for other specials and discounts that I'll be offering. If you like the content and resource material I bring you, you'll find much more by connecting with me on social media and through my blog. In fact, my blog has been awarded two unsolicited awards for Christian content. (laughs) I'm really excited about that. And also, when it comes to social media, I must be sharing truth because I've been shut down twice by LinkedIn recently and once by Facebook. So I'll continue to post there as long as I can, but one platform I won't be kicked off of is Blessed to Teach Neighborhood. It's a new platform for Christian patriots. I'd love to connect with you there. And please know I really want to connect with you with an exchange of information, not simply to have a one-way communication with this podcast. Let me know how my work blesses you. Let me know what topics you want me to cover. My email and social media are listed in the show notes. My webpage has access to my blog, where I look forward to reading your comments on my blog posts too, okay? Yeah, I'd love it if you do that. I also want you to be sure to take advantage of the free resources and bonus items listed in the show notes and on my website, faithtoliveby.com. From there, you can also subscribe to my complimentary e-newsletter. And as a subscriber, you can choose from one of three gifts I offer in appreciation for your subscription. Subscribing will also make you a preferred member where you'll receive special announcements and offers not available to others. And by subscribing... Should anything happen to my podcasts, I'll have a way to contact you to make sure you know where you can find me. Depending upon where you listen to my podcast, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever these features are available. You know, your reviews really help the show reach more people. It helps spread the gospel, and it helps people learn how to best apply their Christian faith. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen right here on Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, asking you to remember, Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him.